Well, good morning. Man, was that an awesome song or what? Could y'all handle a shout in this place? Man, you remember when that happened for you? When death was arrested and your life began? Man. Well, if you can't tell, I'm tickled to be here with you this morning. I was so blessed when Brother James called me and asked and I was able to be here. And It's always good to be here at First Baptist Bologna. Uh, I'm so grateful for Michael Kane, what he does, the singers, the musicians, all that they do to help us be led into worship when we gather together like this. And, and I hope you have. I hope you have entered into worship this morning and you're ready to hear from God's own voice, from his word today. We're going to be in John chapter 17, the first five verses of that. I want to read that passage in just a moment and then uh, see what the Lord has for us prepared in it. And uh, I was sharing with someone a while ago that uh, this is somewhat of a pastoral message Uh, It has in it the ability to deal with you and I individually. And then I've just been thinking about it. The Lord's been working this word out in my life for the last few weeks because it's going to challenge us to do something. It's going to challenge us to kind of have an evaluation from Jesus' own words. And as I believe that's what he's doing is he's looking back and he's evaluating for himself as the Son of God that came here to earth to do the Father's will. And as he's reached that point to where, even in his own mind and heart, it's so much done and completed that he says it that way, even though he actually hasn't went through everything at this point. But for him, in his heart, it's done. You know what I'm saying there? And so, for you and I, I mean... Whenever we reach a place, let me just give you the title of this message, and you'll kind of know where this is coming from. I've titled it, What Is This Life All About Anyway? And no doubt, like I said, individually, we reach different places in life. It got celebrated for me last night. We have some friends that I used to pastor with us this morning that were there last night. My wife and daughters put together this thing, and... I had a Medicare birthday party, and I'm telling you, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tickled about it. Uh, you know, when I was a young man, I never thought I'd live this long because I was living kind of crazy, but I'm, I'm tickled that I'm here. And so tomorrow, I'll actually turn 65, and over the last few weeks, you know, that's, that's at least, that's a, uh, well, that's a main number for the government, you know, and a lot of things, stuff like that. But it is a, it's a point in life. And so for the last several weeks, I've been in this passage and have been letting this thing work in me this way and, and ask me some, there's three real simple questions in it that I want to pose to you this morning out of it that I'm thinking if Jesus needed to think about these things himself, then how much more so do you and I? And I thought how uh, in a corporate way for you today, because you're in a transition. 
You know, you've not, you've not been in this place for over 30 years. You know, you've had Brother John Hamby here as a faithful pastor for all those years. And what an amazing thing that is to be able to have that kind of tenure somewhere. But, but now he has retired, and so you're in a transition period. And I think this is, this is a tremendous spot, if you would take advantage of it, individually and corporately as a body, to let these three simple questions be your questions today. And maybe questions for the next little while out in your life, individually and corporately. So let me read these verses, like I say, verse 1 through 5. John chapter 17, it says, These words Jesus spoke and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him power or authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O oh Father, you glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Father, as we are here this morning, gathered together in your name in this place, as we've come to your word, we don't need enticing words of man's wisdom, but we need your word empowered by the Holy Spirit and that there would be a demonstration of that power in this place this morning in our lives. And I pray, Father, for myself and for everyone else here that we would listen to the voice of our master in this prayer as he lifted it up to you at such a critical juncture in his earthly life here. I pray, Father, that the things that he was allowing to be questions in his own existence, that we would let those be questions in ours today. We want this to be a thorough, a complete evaluation in our lives individually and corporately so that, Father, we would find ourselves like your son, living out and fulfilling all your will, all your plan and your purpose. So, Father, direct us in this, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is this life all about anyway? It's interesting that if you know much about this, where Jesus is at, the very next chapter, all of chapter 17 is a prayer. He initially, in these first five verses, he prays for himself. Later, he prays for those that were disciples with him then. And then later on in this prayer, he prays for you and me, those that would believe later on because of the testimony of those that were following him at, at this time. But I want you to think about just a little bit of framework to know what's what's he'd been leading up to in this because back in chapter 12 verse 24 is where Jesus says he puts this this huge principle out there for us and he says unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies it abides alone but if it if it dies 
then it's going to be fruitful. It's going to produce. There's going to be a harvest that's come out of that. And I know he's talking about our lives in that, and he's using this earthly example that what have we got to do? We've got to yield ourselves to the situation and circumstance that God has put us in. We've got to yield ourselves to that in his plan and purpose if we want to see our lives be fruitful and there be a real harvest out of that. Chapter 13, verse 34 is where Jesus says, now we've had the old commandment for a long time. You go back to Leviticus 19, 18, that's a long ways back, isn't it? That's hundreds of years back. The old command all the way up was you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, is that hard or what? Anybody got a tough neighbor around you? <laughs> I mean... To love your, and we love ourselves, don't we? Come on, y'all. You got any mirrors in your house? <laughs> Can you walk by one without looking? I mean, we love ourselves. And, and that's, a, that's a stiff, heavy commandment. Love, love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, there was, a law, uh, there was a man of the law that tried to quiz Jesus on that at one point, tried to get past it. But, but think about it. Well, in 1334, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. Now, Here's the deal. A lot of people think that grace softens things, but actually grace always steps things up a notch. It always raises it to a, a higher level. And so Jesus says, here's the new command. The new command is that you love one another as I have loved you. And he says, and by this, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. In other words, this is going to become, this is going to become the identification this is the purpose of us on this earth. This is going to become the identification that I'm a follower of Christ because I'm loving others like he's loved me. Now, you tell me, is that a step up or what from loving my neighbor like I love myself? And then chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John are all particulars that Jesus lays out, some very important things there because he knows where this is heading. And then we get to chapter 17, and here's this prayer. Well, why it's so important to me is because chapter 18, what happens is he actually enters into the passion and the persecution that he was sent to, to endure for you and I, that he would be the one that would pay the price for us. So here he is. Jesus at this tremendous transition in life. And in a very real way, he presents to us, I'm going to give you three real simple questions this morning. Y'all like simple questions? Okay, I'll tell you like I do the ladies at prison. This means yes, this means no. <laughs> I need you to participate. Come on. Look, look at this. The first one is this. You remember what it said in, in verse number one as Jesus starts a prayer? He says, Father, the hours come. He says, glorify your son. Why? So that your son also may glorify you. This is the question, the why. There's going to be the why, the what, and the who. That's the simple questions. The why. Why am I doing what I'm doing and I think Jesus lays it out for us with this kind of answer is that he, he wants to have this very intense commitment to do one thing, to glorify the Father. And I'm telling you, for you and me individually and you corporately, that has to be our heartbeat. That has to be the thing that is really the governing element over everything that we do is, is that what do we want to do? 
Do we want to create fame and a name for ourselves? Or do we want to create fame and a name for the one who has saved us? Do we want to glorify him with this life? And, and, and so what, what do I have to consider about that? It's interesting, one of the old catechisms in it, and this one part gets quoted a lot about what's the chief end of man, but there's also in this about the chief, the chief end of God is this, to glorify himself and to enjoy his own glory forever. How does he want to glorify himself? Just as Jesus' example says, Jesus says, do this through me. Father, glorify me so that I can do this, so that I can. I'm telling you, that was Jesus' heartbeat in everything he did was he wanted to glorify the Father. He wanted to honor him. He wanted to make God famous on this earth. He, he wanted, and, and you know there's others, there's others that, that got this. Paul got this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Chapter 10 is kind of an interesting thing because Paul's talking about the freedom that he has, you know. It's kind of like this. He says, you know, I can go to the market and I can buy meat. And I don't need to know where that meat comes from. If that meat was offered up to idols, it don't matter to me. It's just meat. I can take it home. I can cook it. I need it. It's no big deal. But he talks about how we've got to be careful so that we don't cause another brother or sister to stumble if they, if they learned about that. And so he brings it down in this one verse to this. He says, so whatsoever you eat... Whatsoever you drink, whatsoever you do. You remember the last part of that verse? He says, do it all to the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about, we have this overarching number one principle that, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this so that God can be glorified? I think about John the Baptist. You know, Jesus said that there was no greater born of woman than John the Baptist. He's the last prophet. And yet John the Baptist, earlier on in this same book, in John chapter 3, he made this statement as he's looking upon the Christ, he says... Here's the deal. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. I've been a real student of uh, great revivals for a long time. And a man that was used in the first, what we call the first great awakening, George Whitfield, used tremendously by God. The man, the man preached like 18,000 sermons in, in like 30 years. And li literally, I think he literally just wore himself out with the journeys he made back and forth across the Atlantic and, and all up and down and all through this country. And God used him in tremendous ways. And I read something I'd never known before this week. And here's a man who, who uh, really nobody else has ever done what this man has done. But, but he, was, he was trying to be so careful that God would get the glory that he would never let his name be put on anything. He wouldn't let his name be put on a, a bulletin. He wouldn't let his name be like if somebody had transcribed a sermon. He wouldn't let his name. And he got down to this. I thought this was really interesting. The place where he's buried, the stone that's there, guess what? His name's not on it. But there's a very simple statement there about giving God the glory. 
Here's a man that was trying to really live it out that he was saying, listen, I don't have to be known. I don't have to be famous. I don't have to. I don't have to be, do you know, where people recognize me. He says, here's the deal. I, I want people to recognize my God. So like Jesus says here, he says, if you want to know the why, this is the why. There needs to be an intense commitment to glorify the Father. The second is this, and it's in verse 4, the what. And I think this is where, especially for you, where you're at as a body in this, in this, tran, you know, this transition that you're in, this time that you're in, this would be a tremendous question to ask. Because notice what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished what? I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And so we need to let this simple question be asked. What am I doing? We ask the why am I doing it, but what am I doing? And so there, there needs to be, as Jesus shows us, this real inner compulsion to do what? To do the work of the Father. Look back to verse 2 and 3 where he, he kind of lays this out. He says, as you've given, given your Son power or authority over all flesh, that he should do this, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. He says, and this is eternal life. That, you might, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've said. Jesus says, this was my work. This is why I came. This is what the Father wanted me to do. And you know what? That can be a tough question sometimes. When we come to God and we say, Father, what do you want me to do? And here's why it can be tough. Because there can be others that will want to delegate what you do. You want to know who they are? Okay, I'll tell you anyways. The first one is ourselves. A lot of times we just choose what we want to do. And then sometimes we wonder why it is that the results happen the way they happen. I know this from God's Word and some experience in life. I know this, that when I'm going to talk about this word calling, this is something that's not taught a whole lot. It's not spoken about a whole lot anymore. It needs to be brought back up. And I'm not talking about just purely, usually you relate that to somebody being called to preach, somebody being called to be a pastor, a missionary, something like this. I'm talking about, when I'm saying calling, I'm talking about what does God want you to do with your own individual life? What does God want this body to do with this body life here? His calling on, that's, that's God sharing his mindset with us personally about what we want to do. And I know this, that whenever, whenever we're listening for his voice and we're asking him what he wants us to do and he shares with us and then out of obedience we enter into that, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, then I believe right at that moment God himself commits himself. Can I use a word that's going to sound a little, might sound a little off, but I think it's correct. I believe God obligates himself. Because the calling's his idea. And he says, there's all kinds of if-thens, you know, in Scripture. And he says, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And I believe God obligates himself then as we enter into it that he's going to provide. He's going to, he's going to do all those things. There's going, to be, there's going to be what you're going to need there in place to do that which he has called you to do. And so sometimes we'll just decide. Sometimes other people will want to tell you what to do. Everybody smile. I don't know how many times over the years, and I know people mean well, 
But somebody would walk up to me and they'd say, Brother Wayne, you know, they'd want to be spiritual about it. They'd say, Brother Wayne, I, I really believe this is what God wants you to do. And it threw me the first few times that happened, you know. And, but then I, I realized what I need, how I need to respond to that. And I said, well, that may be so. But I know this, that if God's wanting me to do something, he's going to talk to me about it for sure. And at this point, he hasn't. You know, that was the usual thing. Because usually it's just, you know, it was just something. It wasn't a bad idea. You know, it wasn't a bad thing. But, you know, that person's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only one. He is the Holy Spirit. Nobody else. And so sometimes ourselves, sometimes other people might uh, want to try to delegate what we do. Sometimes even the devil will try to get us to do stuff. You remember what he did to Jesus after Jesus had been out there in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, fasting, and he comes to him? What did, what did the devil try to do? Hey, if you're the son of God, full well knowing how hungry he was, why don't you turn that stone into a loaf of bread? The devil's saying, why don't you do this? Well, if you're the son of God, why don't you go over here to the temple and get up on the top and jump off? Because you know what the word says. The word says his angels will catch you. You know, they won't let you on. Why don't you do that? And the worst of all, he says, why don't, you, why don't you worship me? Why don't you fall down before me and worship me? Why don't you do this? See, sometimes the devil will try to tell us what we need to do. So we need to be in tune with what does the Father want me to do? You know, it was Jesus himself in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, where Jesus said, you remember in his, his prayer with the Father, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Now, if, if the Son, if Jesus, the Son of God, the Son in flesh incarnate with us, would submit himself in that way to the Father's will, then how could we ever think that we don't need to do that also, submitting to him. So, I think about, and this is really a tough verse that Jesus shares over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, where Jesus says it like this. He says, not everyone that, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Jesus is saying, sometimes words can just be words. He says, here's, here's tangible proof. And he's going to go on in the next verse after that, and it gets to be a real serious thing about those folks. But he says, here's the real deal. Don't just say, Lord, Lord. He says, do the will of the Father. Because what's that going to be? That's going to prove that he is your Lord, Lord. That's going to prove that he is, you know, y'all know what Lord means? That means he's in control. That means he's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that tells us what to do. He's the one that tells us where to go. He's the one that tells us when to start something, when to quit something. He's the one that's, he's, he's L-O-R-D. He's kurios. He's Lord. He's master. And so he says, you know, it's, it's, it's supremely important to understand the why. And we might need to ask ourselves that question every now and then. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to glorify the Father? And then the second thing is I might need to ask, 
what am I doing? Am I doing the Father's work? A lady at at the prison brought this across my life a few weeks ago because she was wrestling with this verse, verse 4. She said, what stood out to me was this. Jesus said, I finished the work which you gave me to do. And this lady, she's very busy in ministry. She comes and volunteers and teaches at the prison. She's she's running a a, a transition home for ladies that get out. And she's, she's very busy all the time. And she told me this. She says, I realized that my life is out of whack. I said, what do you mean? She said, I realized that because she had been doing, you know, some things that just she wanted to do, and she was doing some things that everybody else wanted her to do, and it had gotten to where the work was like this. And she said, and then my time with my family and commitment to them was like this. And she, she said, I realized that my deep personal intimate walk with the father had gotten like this she said my life is inverted and I said I know where you're at and we committed to pray for each other that day she says I want to see that flipped I want to see it that the number one thing the most of my time is going to be committed to which is the third thing my intimate communion with the Father. And then my time with my family will be right. She says, and then the work and only the work that he wants me to do will be here where it's rightly to be. I'm telling you, from that day, that's when, like I said, this has been being worked out in me in a lot of different ways. And like I said, I've come to a point in life where it's probably a good time to evaluate things and see how, how stuff is going. The third one is this, and I get this out of the last verse, verse 5. This intimate communion with the Father. This has to be our number one focus. Intimacy with Him. Notice what Jesus says. He says, and now... Oh, Father. It's interesting because, and I don't bring this up too much, but, but I think it's important here. The original word that's used here is an Aramaic word, and it's Abba. Y'all ever heard that word? Abba. It's, it's the most intimate, personal term used in Jesus' time for a child to say to their male parent. Jesus is saying, I know we've got it in English here, we've got it as Father, but he's saying in the most intimate way he could say back to the Father, he's saying, Abba. And six times in this prayer, in this whole chapter, he uses that same word. This is such an intimate time of prayer between the Father and the Son. And he shows that intimacy because he's calling him, and this is really kind of a poor comparison, but it's all we have in this life. He's not saying father, he's saying daddy. He's saying, this is so important to me, the relationship that I have with you. How intimate it is, how personal it is. I want you to think about, how does he teach us to pray? 
when he's asked to teach to pray. In the model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, are what? Do you know that word, Father, there is Abba. Our, our Abba, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Submission, intimacy in all these things. I love what uh, is said in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is, is a, has so much great, rich theology in it. Verse 14 talks about our relationship to God as being sons and daughters, His children, and how the proof of that comes because when we're led by the Spirit. And then in verse 15 he says, and by the way, we've not been given the spirit of bondage, again, unto fear, but we have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We've literally been brought into the family of God. We've literally been adopted as sons and daughters. That's an important thing. Because in adoption, that child receives full family rights. Legally, every way you can think of. And what else do they get? They get the Father's name. Abba, spirit of adoption. We cry out, Abba, Father. Do you see in that verse the word, it's used three times in here, but there's two times it's used in there talking about this communion, the word with. He says, and now, O Father, glorify, you glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We don't tend to think about before the world was, do we? I mean, you know, how does our Bible start? In the beginning. And things start. As we know it, you know, it all started. then. But we, we tend to not think about the before the world was. But, but think about this. He's saying Jesus, Jesus had real, close, intimate, personal relationship with the Father before any of this or any of us ever was spoken or molded into existence. They had relationship that's been going on from all eternity past, all through what we're in now, this age of grace, and it's going to continue on all the way out in eternity future. He says, he says Father, I want you to do this so that I want you to glorify yourself with me, with you, with the glory which we had together when we stood together before the world ever was. I don't know if you caught it or not, but these three points, those two words like intense commitment and inner compulsion and intimate communion would all be initialed out as I see. And I'm hoping that when we get to this place right here, that's, that'll be what you can say. I see what Jesus is saying by what he's praying. Look back, and I'll finish with this verse. Look back to verse 3. Don't you love it when the Bible defines something for us so that we can have God's definition 
You've got it in verse 3. He says, this is life eternal. This is life eternal. And I want you to notice what it's all about. He says that they might know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That they might know you, Father, the only true God. And that they might know me, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This knowing is the same thing that I just shared with you about here. He's talking about, here's, here's where we get it. Here's where we ought to smile. Here's where we ought to shout at times. Here's where we ought to get just completely tickled about this is that we can. We can enter into a relationship with the one and only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it can be such a real, close, personal relationship. He says, this is what eternal life really is, is knowing the Father and the Son like this. I was watching, uh, it's amazing how we have such access to stuff these days. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm 60, about 65, but uh, I like to watch YouTube stuff also. And uh, you get to watch stuff that was done years ago. And there's a man that I've read his books and followed him for a long time. He, he passed away back in the 90s. Leonard Ravenhill, his most famous book was Why Revival Terries. Awesome holiness preacher guy. And I was watching a video of him the other night, and he was like being interviewed for an hour by these younger guys, you know, and he was older then. This was like in the late 80s. And uh, he was the kind of guy that, if you didn't want a real answer, you didn't need to ask him a question. You know what I'm talking about? He's real straight up. And uh, he was talking about when, when people are talking about various things that they, they ascribe to eternal life. He says, I always ask them this one question. I always ask them, do you know God? And he said, well, they say, uh, uh, well, yeah, I've been baptized. And he said, He'll tell them, you know, well, baptism is good, and it's right, and it's an act of obedience. He says, but that's not what eternal life is about. It's not about baptism. And then he'll ask someone else, do you know God? And they'll say, well, I'm a church member down here at XYZ Church. And he says, well, that's a good thing, and that's a right thing, that you've been connected with a local body of believers. He says, but that's not what eternal life is all about. And he walked down through all these things, and he came back to this. He says, this is the only thing that eternal life is all about. It's all about that we individually, personally, real relationally know the Father and the Son whom He sent. That is eternal life. So, three simple questions. Like I said, God's been running these across my life for a few weeks now. The why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I doing? Am I doing His work? Or am I doing something I want to do or somebody else wants me to do? Or worse than that, am I doing something the devil's trying to get me to do? And then the who. Who has that preeminent place in my life? Jesus says it in another place where He says... Our relationship with the Father has to be to such a level that our love relationship 
with our spouses and our kids and our close family is going to look so pale in comparison, even though we love them greatly. He says that it's going to be so great, our love relationship with him, that it's almost going to look like hate in that other realm. Now, he doesn't want us to hate our spouses or our kids. Don't get, don't get that wrong. What he's saying is that in comparison to, in other words, that with all this life and all that we are, what do we do? We love the Lord our God. I got so blessed this week. Two of my grandkids, one of the boys that's in Thailand and one a little girl up in, in northwest Arkansas, how interesting that God would do this. They're separated by whew, 12 hours of time, over 8,000 miles. They weren't doing this together. But both of them, on the same day, I get videos of both of them. And they're both reciting that verse. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind our strength well that sounds like pretty much everything doesn't it all that we are all that we'll ever be I'm going to invite Michael and, and those to come back up here and I don't want you to shift gears I do want them to come but I don't want you to shift gears in your heart I pastored a place one time that I had to say this one day We'd get to this spot, and you know what you'd start hearing? You'd start hearing purses snap and Bible covers zip. And my fear was that everybody's, they're like, okay, we're done. We've, we've, we've been through this. We were done. But we're not done. And this is why I encourage them. Anytime we come to God's Word like this, it demands a response from you and me. Now, that could be as different as there is numbers of people here today. But I know this. I either have to line myself up with his truth or I have to disobey it. So in Jesus' example this morning, Maybe you've already thought about something. Maybe there's something just you, you need to come, turn these steps into altars this morning, and you need to, you need to do business with the Lord about something this morning. I want to encourage you. You're amongst friends. You're amongst brothers and sisters this morning. And you're amongst fellow human beings that wrestle with this life. What's this life all about anyway? I want to encourage you to do exactly what the Spirit is leading you to do this morning. Whatever that may be. However you need to do it. And for a person that might be here today who has never entered into that relationship I described with the Father, that will be the most important thing for you today. And I would greatly encourage you to not put that off. Because I, I know... Again, we're humans, and I figure you're a lot like me. And if I don't deal with it now, and I walk out and I shake hands and I say goodbye, and I go somewhere and I eat and I go back and turn on the TV, I either, number one, might forget, 
you know, or I just could put enough distance between me and that that it doesn't happen. So I want to encourage you. We won't be through until it's through with all of us individually. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to ask Brother James if he would come here to meet you at the altar if need be, if you want him to. Uh, let me pray and they can lead us then in our, in our song. Father, I'm just so grateful to you that you didn't leave us alone in this world. You didn't leave us in our sin as we sang a little while ago that you did all that was necessary so that death could be arrested off of our lives and so that this new life could begin. I pray your grace, Father, on all of us today, whatever we need to do during this time, that we would listen to the Spirit, we would be obedient, we would follow through, we trust you. Father, we want to do this for your glory. We want to be doing your work, your way. And more than anything else, we want to walk in a relationship with you that's real and personal and greater than any other relationship we could ever have. Because you love us in a way that nobody else can. So use this time for your glory. We thank you in Christ's name.